The following sermon is presented by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. It's wonderful to be here to reflect on the crucifixion this evening. The text that we'll be looking at is from the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. And the title of the message is The Satisfaction of the Cross. We see God's wrath satisfied at the cross. This is a demonstration of God's love. It's a demonstration of God's compassion. But the cross accomplished something that nothing else could accomplish. It satisfied the wrath of God. As we talk about the wrath of God today, it's not popular, is it? It's not something that people talk about. We hear much about the love of God or what man thinks God's love should look like. We hear that all over the place. We hear people say things like, my God would never allow people to go to hell. He would never require a blood sacrifice. That's barbaric. No, he's a God of of love who accepts and embraces all manner of grotesque, immoral behavior. He embraces it. To say that there's only one way to be in a relationship with God, is, it's narrow-minded. It's hateful. The God that the world speaks of wants us to consider all religions as a viable option. We should, we should weigh them all. And to those who say that that's what their God is like, I would say you're absolutely right. Your God is like that because your God is not the God of the Bible. Your God is yourself. The God that you're describing, it's it's not offensive at all. The God of the Bible makes you uncomfortable, and he should make you uncomfortable. He makes you look upon your sin hold you accountable for it, and he calls you to forsake your sin. He warns you that if you don't forsake it, his wrath will fall upon you. This is offensive. People don't want to give up their sin because they love it. We don't hear much about the God of the Bible today. Very little is said about the God of the Bible in our current culture. But this is the God we're here to praise tonight. This is the God we're here to worship and lift up and magnify his holy name. And to do this properly, we have to talk about his wrath. We have to. 
The very point of this whole evening is to remember that his wrath was satisfied at the cross. To those who say that this is not loving, we would say on the contrary. This is the very definition of love. His love is seen in this sacrifice. The crucifixion was the apex of God's love. This sacrifice brought about the reconciliation of sinful man to a holy God. It was the culmination of God's demonstrated love and his compassion all rolled into one with his perfect justice. To discuss the crucifixion without dealing with this satisfaction of his wrath or propitiation, it's missing the whole point of the crucifixion. So from our text this evening, we're going to look at three aspects of this wrath-satisfying sacrifice to give us a greater appreciation for what took place at the cross and to drive us to our knees in worship. We'll see the need for this satisfaction. Then we'll see the nature of this satisfaction. And we'll, we'll end our evening by looking at the navigator of this satisfaction or the, the, the director, the orchestrator of this act of satisfaction of God's wrath. So let me read Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. And then we'll come back and we'll dig into this. Now, be sure, we only have... 25 minutes, so we can't pull everything out of this passage that's there. I would suggest, if you want that, go listen to Todd's message on Romans 3. But tonight, we will look at these three aspects of this passage. Romans 3, 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, and we just desire... to to sit back and meditate on the truths of your word, on the truth of what happened at the cross, to let it sink in, to remember what was done for us there, that we would have a greater appreciation and a deeper worship. Please, Father, clear our minds from all distractions this evening and help us to focus on what you have for us here in Christ's holy name. Amen. So the first aspect that we see here regarding the satisfaction of God's wrath is the need for the satisfaction. In verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now that says it rather lightly. We've fallen short. We've missed the mark. We're actually not even go- we weren't even going towards the mark. We were going the other direction. We were running away from the mark. 
We need to be clear, there's a desperate need for us to be reconciled to God. Understand also that man was created sinless in the garden. Genesis 1.31, it tells us that after creating Adam and Eve, God declared all that he had made to be very good. So Adam and Eve were created. The only human beings who were ever created with a true choice to obey God or to disobey God. And they chose to disobey God. Told them, you can eat from any tree in this garden, but from the tree, from this tree here, in the middle of the garden, you cannot eat. And they disobeyed God. And from that moment, the wrath of God was focused on them. At that moment, they had a desperate need for the wrath of God to be satisfied. But it's not only Adam and Eve who have a desperate need for God's wrath to be satisfied. No. The text tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So yes, Adam and Eve were condemned for their sin, but this one act of disobedience plunged the entire human race into sin. Everyone after them would be born totally depraved, totally sinful. All have sinned in Adam. Romans 3.10 tells us, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. This was us before we were saved. There was nothing good in us. Ephesians 2 1 and 2 tells us, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Friends, we're sinners both by nature and by our actions. Ultimately, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because it's who we are. It's our nature. We sin because we're sinners. That needs to be clearly understood when we talk about God's wrath. It's not just a matter of, well, maybe if I try to do better, if I try to keep God's law, it's much, much worse than that. You can't clean yourself up. You can't keep God's law because your nature without Christ is totally depraved. You inherited that from Adam. From Adam. So why is sin so bad? Well, because sin is rebellion against God. It's spitting in the face of the creator. God hates it, and it must be punished. If God were to just sweep our sin under the rug, if you will, he wouldn't be a just God. He wouldn't be just. And friends, he is. He is a just God. So the wrath of God has to be satisfied. And it'll either be poured out on us when we die in hell for eternity, his wrath will be poured on us, or the wrath that Jesus Christ took on the cross will be credited to us 
if we repent and trust in Christ. So we see the need for this satisfaction, our radically sinful condition. Next, I want us to look at the nature of the satisfaction in verse 24. We'll start in verse 23 again. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now, in considering the nature of this satisfaction, I want to look at the means by which it was both sent and delivered. When you send a letter, it's sent by the, the U.S. Postal Service, and then the mail carrier delivers it. So we want to look at how this, this satisfaction was sent and who delivered it. First, we see the means by which it was sent in verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace. It was sent as a gift of grace. You're being justified as a gift of God. You, you do nothing to get it. Nothing. This shows us that there's no partiality with God here. No partiality. There's no merited distinction between those who need to be justified and those who receive the justification. There's no distinction in their works that this one did better than that person. No merited distinction at all. It's a gift. All who receive it, receive it as a gift by God, by His grace, not by anything they do. You may say, well, wait a minute. Don't I have to repent and, and trust in Jesus Christ? I mean, that's what we've been hearing for the past several weeks. Repentance, right? We need to repent and trust in Christ. And you're absolutely right. You need to repent and trust in Christ. Completely in Christ and what he did for you on the cross. But here's the thing. Both that repentance and that belief that trust are part of the gift of God. The repentance and the trust are both part of the gift. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. It's all a gift. So that there could be no boasting on our part at all. Christ did it all. He did it all. Now as we, as we look at the text, it says the gift consists of us being justified. Excuse me. Verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So what exactly does it mean to be justified? I'm not trying to insult your intelligence here. I'm just saying, what does it mean to be justified? Well, that's a legal term. It means being validated or authenticated, being declared righteous before God. Being declared righteous before God. When you're justified by God, you're given a right legal standing before him as your judge. He will judge you. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it's appointed unto man to die once, and after this, 
is the judgment. You'll be judged by God based on God's righteous requirements. You'll stand in his courtroom and be judged. If you've not met God's requirements for perfection, if you're not perfect here today, you'll be found guilty. And you'll face the full wrath of God. And as we've already seen, there's no one who's met God's standards. Nobody can say, I've, I've kept the law. I've kept God's standards. Therefore, the, the only way to be justified to receive that right legal standing is by receiving justification as a gift from God. So how do we, who are guilty, how are we declared righteous before God? How can he do this and still be just if we're so sinful? How is it possible? Well, it all comes down to the delivery. The way it was delivered makes it possible. That's the second aspect of the nature regarding the satisfaction, the delivery of the gift. It says this, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. It came by way of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The text says it came through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now, redemption is being delivered from something, specifically by way of of paying a price. You're redeemed or a ransom to free a prisoner or captor. Sometimes it was given to a master to free a slave. The satisfaction of God's wrath could only come through the sinless Savior. He paid it all with his life. He paid the ransom. This gift was free for the recipients, but it was attained at a great price by our Lord. At a great price. It was made possible because of Jesus Christ. It was delivered through him. So we've seen the need for God's wrath to be satisfied because of our sinful condition. We've seen the the nature of this satisfaction, that it's a gift that comes through Jesus Christ. And now finally, I want us to look at the navigator of this satisfaction or the director, the orchestrator of this satisfaction. Verse 25 says, well, let me just start from verse 23 again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. So the the one who orchestrated this the navigator, if you will, was God himself, not man. This is different from all other religions. It was quite common in those times for people to offer sacrifices to their, their God, whether it be Ashtaroth or Diana or whatever. They would offer these sacrifices. That was common. But here we see that God was the one making the sacrifice. There's no sacrifice man could make that would appease or satisfy God's wrath. None. 
This is why Christ had to die. This is why Good Friday is so wonderful. He was not only the one being sacrificed, but he was the one orchestrating the whole thing. Also notice it was not done in some some dark alley somewhere or even in the, the hidden part of the temple for only the high priest to see this sacrifice. It was done in the open, in the public square for all to see. The text tells us that God put Christ on display publicly as a propitiation. Out there for all to see, naked, beat within an inch of his life, humiliated. On the cross. But friends, I, I think we see, we sometimes forget that his suffering didn't begin at the cross. Now, con- this condescension of Jesus Christ, it began at his conception. He left the comforts of his father, the comforts of fellowship with his father. He left that. To walk among sinful mankind for 33 years. A perfect man was walking among totally depraved human beings. How disgusting and horrible that was. And then finally, he was betrayed. As we just heard, he was scourged, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was spat upon, his beard was ripped out. And he was nailed to a cross. And then, on the cross, the full wrath of God was poured on him. It was poured on him. And Christ said, it is finished. He took it all. He drank it all for us. He paid our debt in his blood. The text says he was displayed displayed publicly as a propitiation, an appeasement, a satisfaction of this wrath. It was in his blood. So does that mean that since Christ paid the price for the sin of the world, he took the, the wrath of God upon himself, does that mean now that, well, okay, well, everybody must be saved now because Christ took the wrath of God upon himself. He paid the price. No, look at the text. It says, a propitiation in his blood through faith. You're saved by grace, yes. And this grace is delivered by redemption, which comes through Christ. But you need to receive this gift through faith in Christ. You must trust in him. You must turn from your sins. You must repent and place your trust fully in Jesus Christ. Those who do not trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, they're still banking on, maybe I'm good enough. That's foolish. That's foolish. We just saw you're totally depraved. You're not good enough. The only way for us to be declared righteous before God is for us to place our trust in Christ and what he did on the cross. The one who died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God. This is the one way to be justified. This is the only way to receive forgiveness. 
This is the only way to have God's wrath satisfied, to be declared righteous. It's the only way. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no other way. Acts 4, 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. There's one way. Yes, it's narrow, but it's the only way. So let me ask you today, are you saved? Have you turned from your sins? Have you repented and trusted in Christ? Are you seeing your sin the way God sees it? Do you see the wretchedness of your sin? Or do you say, well, lying's not that bad? Well, if you think lying's not that bad, you have too low a view of God and too high a view of yourself because God hates it. He hates lying. He hates all sin. So if you don't see your sin the way God sees it, if you don't see it as wretched and you want to turn away from it, that's repentance. You, you see your sin the way God sees it, you hate it, and you flee to Christ. You fall on your knees and you beg him to forgive you, to cleanse you, to make you a new creature. Have you done that? Have you come to Christ in true repentance? I'm not asking you if you said a prayer or if you walked an aisle. Ask Jesus into your heart. Have you been broken over your sin? Have you wept over your sin and asked Christ to forgive you? And are you now living for Christ? How important is your relationship with Christ? If you haven't thought about those things and you're thinking, well, I've never really thought much about it. That's a dangerous place to be. From what we just read, that's dangerous. Ask God to grant you repentance. Turn to Christ and live. Don't wait another moment. Today is the day of salvation. You don't know if you have another moment. You don't know if you have another second. None of us are promised another day. Now, it seems incomplete if I don't mention the resurrection the finale, as it were, of, the redemption, of redemption. But the details of that are left for Sunday morning. But just know this. Christ did not stay dead. He conquered death, showing that this sacrifice that he did was acceptable to the Father. This evening, we considered the satisfaction of God's wrath that took place at the cross. We saw that it was desperately needed because of our sinful condition. We saw that it was a gift from God and that it was accomplished through the death of Christ. And finally, we saw that it was a work of God and he was in complete control of it. So as you leave here this evening, think about this amazing event. Contemplate this wonderful gift. Remember that it's, it's, a, it's free for us, but it was costly for the Lord. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly 
as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we remember the crucifixion tonight, I pray that we would think on these things, that we remember the great price that was paid and what you've done for us, that we wouldn't take it lightly, that we wouldn't take it for granted, but that we would continually be thinking on it. And although it is Friday, we know that Sunday is coming, Lord, and we praise you for that. We praise you that Christ did not stay dead or we would have no hope. We worship you and we give this evening over to you in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, I have the uh, <clears throat> honor of leading us in communion tonight, but uh, before we get there, I hope that you know, this isn't just a, an exercise that you go through on Good Friday and hearing Todd read the, the scriptures and, and Joe's message on this, but it's something that you can put yourself back into that place where they were um, as they were waiting. It was, it was Friday and, and Christ was crucified and hope was gone. And they didn't know that Sunday was coming as we know now. And I just want to take a brief moment before we partake together and just paint a picture for you of what that was like. It was on the night that Judas had made a deal with the Pharisees to betray Christ for some money. Jesus and his 12 were gathered together for the final time, though they didn't know this. And his crucifixion was looming. And we read in Matthew 26, in verse 20, it says, Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, he who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Now, as the men come forward, they're going to pass the communion out this evening. And just take a moment. We don't require you to be a member here to take communion at Maranatha Bible Church, but we do require you to be born again because that's what the Bible says. So if you are born again and, and you have placed your faith and trust, as Joe uh, just taught, in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, please take that and hold on to it. If you haven't yet, we would urge you to do so. 
But if you still have not, we would ask that you would just let it pass before you as not to heap condemnation onto yourself. And so as they're passing it out, Anna's going to play for us and just take a moment and reflect and search your own heart that you may not have that rebellious spirit that should not be in there. they were sitting around the table celebrating the last Passover, the first communion was coming. And in verse 26, Matthew records for us, he says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. So if you want to open that top up and we can partake together.
And then continuing on, Jesus, when he had taken the cup, he gave thanks, and he gave it to them. And he said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's partake together. Will you pray with me? Lord, we do thank you that on this night you knew what was coming and Lord, you still went through with it. And we thank you for this wonderful truth that there is uh, salvation found only in your name. Lord, you humbled yourself, became a man, and Lord, suffered death, even that of the cross. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray that this truth would never leave the front of our mind all the days of our lives. Lord, we love you and we do pray that you would continue to bless us in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon presented at Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan, where we exist to display God's glory, declare God's truth, delight in God's Son, and disciple God's people. No part of this digital file may be reproduced or distributed without prior written consent. For permission, go to mbcmi.org.